Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. Let's start off this week with the copper conundrum. The refined market is somewhat muted and positioning light. Indeed, volatility has been extremely low in copper at the start of 2024. Now, it has a lot of incoming with a negative outlook, and that's based on energy transition weakness, which, by the way, is not something I'm seeing in terms of uh, end demand at least, based on China disappointment with copper cathode premiums dropping and visible stocks rising. But then we've got the copper concentrate market tightening rapidly and, and spot TCRCs are in free fall. So why the disconnect? It's a bit to do with timing. We are in the pre-Lunar New Year period when demand is seasonally at its weakest. And coming out of Lunar New Year, inventories will draw and demand will rise. Uh, what about the fundamentals? Well, starting with the demand side, we're increasingly comfortable in China expectations for 2024 and particularly so given this week's policy support, which is looking, in my view, increasingly old school and thus metals intensive. Um, there's one particular factor I wanted to flag, and that's grid spending. So I've got renewable installations falling this year, but that's down to grid capacity or a lack of it. In many regions in China, the grid simply can't cope with the level of distributed solar being popped into it. It's also interesting to note the policy documents coming out around the solar to grid to electric vehicle connectivity, and that's via smart grids, again, copper intensive. So uh, adding to that, you've got China's air conditioner manufacturers. Now they're looking at 20% year-on-year gain in output in the first half of the year. So decent demand side. And ex-China, well, we're not building in any restocking, but we are building in a bit of an end to destocking. So apparent demand gets a little bit of support. It's the supply side though, of course, where things have really turned around. Uh, we've taken our own this 1 million tonnes of mine output from our copper model for 2024 since the start of QC last year. It's Kobe Panama, it's Udokan, it's guidance downgrades, of which I suppose Anglo-American was definitely the big one. And that leaves just 0.7% growth post-disruption this year. That's why treatment refining charges are down. There simply isn't much concentrate to go around, and that's even before the four ex-China smelters are due to ramp up this year. When Chinese refined demand comes back, this tightness will transfer to the cathode market. I do want to make this one point. If you're a smelter and you're buying spot concentrate at a $20 per tonne on the TC and, and $0.02 cents a pound on the RC, respectively, you must be highly convicted the copper price is going higher. Otherwise, the economics just don't make sense. You'd need to be making money by writing up the underlying copper price of your working capital between buying the concentrate and selling the product to make any form of economic return. So given this scenario, copper traders are getting incrementally more bullish, and I see the scene is well set for a push higher in prices through February. Underlying copper fundamentals are better this year than they were this time in 2023, when the price was about 10% higher. One commodity which has started the year well is gold, with the spot price holding consistently above $2,000 an ounce. But how should we think about gold these days? Correlation to gold to real rates, that held for the best part of a decade, but it's broken. So we are looking at a bit of a new era. What defines it? Well, in our view, there's one macro factor, and that's price-insensitive central banks. 
And one more micro factor, Chinese household asset allocation. Let's talk them through. So in terms of the former, as global segmentation increases and central banks with large US dollar exposure start to fret a bit more about the impact of US government fiscal spending and a potentially a structurally weaker dollar, this underlying push to de-dollarize and diversify holdings has really shifted up the agenda, particularly true when we think about emerging market institutions and even more so for those with a close trading relationship with China. Um, I'd highlight Russian gold reserves at the end of 2023 were the highest level in history, about 156 billion US dollars. That's more than double in 2017 levels, while those of China hit 72 million ounces, so about 4.3% of China's official foreign exchange reserves. If we think about it in a go-forward basis, emerging market central bank net buying is a bit of a quasi-annuity for gold over the coming decade. That's arguably well known. The Chinese household, on the other hand, is a little bit more under the radar. Where does a Chinese household put its money these days in a country with little social security blanket? Well, the bond market's nascent and illiquid. A share to equity market performance has been quite frankly horrible, uh, poor, it's been volatile. And you've seen foreign investors withdrawing capital. Historically, money might have been invested in the property market, of course, as a default position. But as has been widely discussed, this sector is facing some major structural issues which are impacting buyer confidence and we're probably like to see some more bankruptcies in that sector soon. And then if we look at wealth management products, they've started to yield subpar returns. So when you look closely, the proportion of Chinese households looking to save more as opposed to invest more, which is definitely what we're seeing at the moment, has shown strong correlation to the RMB gold price. Gold exposure has become somewhat of a necessity for Chinese portfolios as they continue to expect disinflation and income uncertainty. Yes, gold is a disinflation hedge in China, not the inflation hedge it is seen as elsewhere. I'd also highlight though, it also means if we do see China equity market reflation on the back of this equity stabilisation fund, there might be some risk to this incremental gold buying. Indeed, it might even be used as a funding source. For now, however, I had to find gold as a relatively low volatility sub-asset class in a volatile world. And that's not a bad thing to be. The nickel market loves a bit of January drama, uh, particularly on the supply side of the industry. Those of us who have been around long enough to remember the, the toing and froing on Indonesian ore bands. Last year we had the Philippines looking at restrictions. Well, 2024's version been a little bit more fundamental, however. Quite simply, nickel prices are at the level to cause major problems for incumbent nickel producers. Pretty much every day over the past two weeks, we've had some announcement around nickel supply issues. Ravensthorpe, Cambalda, they've been taken offline in the near future. Every new Caledonia asset has warned about its economic viability. South 32 and BHP have talked about strategic reviews of their nickel businesses. And if you add to that, we've had two nickel smelter accidents in Indonesia over the past month. So I've said many times before, supply cuts tend to floor commodity markets. So are we there yet in nickel? I honestly don't think we've seen enough. If you look at the INSG figures, and I do have some issues with these, but I think they tell most of the story. The implied surplus in global nickel in November last year was 429,000 tonnes per annum. That is, not surprisingly, the largest on record, of course, in the circa 3 million tonne market. That's about a 15% market surplus. As one of my esteemed colleagues in research stated this week, nickel is a sad market at present. 
Yes, we're causing pain. Uh, yes, we're causing sufficient pain to see decisions made, but those decisions simply aren't coming quickly enough. Rather, the best fundamental hope for the nickel market is a pickup in demand. Stainless still looks a bit challenged, but I do know that cobalt prices have edged higher over the past week, which could, I say could, be the first indication of a battery value chain restock. Or, if you're looking for the left field scenario, it would just flag we do have an Indonesian election coming up, and we have that against the backdrop of concerns over safety at Chinese-funded plants in the country. Indonesian policy is still the wild card in the nickel market. To close this week, I just want to quickly review some full year 2023 China economic indicators pertaining to metal markets. First of all, the good record renewable installations of over 200 gigawatts. Electric vehicle sales up 37.5% year on year. Air conditioner output up 13% year on year. Floor space completed up 16% year on year in the real estate sector. And, perhaps a surprise one, fixed asset investment in non-ferrous mining and dressing up 43% year on year. That's the highest growth rate since 2007. China is working on security of raw material supply. Then, the not-so-bad GDP at 5.2%. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's above target. We also had industrial output growth at plus 4.6% year-on-year, and the electricity consumption rising 6.7%. And I'd also put metals demand growth in here. Our calculations show a 6% year-on-year gain in copper over 2023, and a 7% gain in aluminium, though we did see a 1% drop in steel. And of course, the ugly. Now, there's no getting away from it, it's property. Fixed asset investment in real estate, down 8% year-on-year. Home sales, down 8% year-on-year. Floor space started down 21% year-on-year. And excavator sales down 25% year-on-year. Despite the government's efforts, not best efforts, but the efforts, the property drag has only increased. We take a step back, however. Well, China's economic data actually continued to trend higher into the end of the year, particularly in the industrial economy. There are still plenty of structural concerns which quite rightly will get market attention. But with industrial output growth accelerating, energy transition sectors continuing to outperform and trade showing signs of improvement, and you add to that another front-loaded fiscal impulse looking highly probable. We've had an RRR cut this week helping wider liquidity. I'd expect that even though sentiment towards the Chinese economy as a whole and global markets remains pretty muted, Metals-intensive areas are likely to hold up well, even with property's ongoing problems. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters, and I hope it has been a good use of 10 minutes of your time. Please join me again in a couple of weeks for the next discussion on those important topics shaping global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.com.
www.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.